Enter the Ebony Tower Podcast, a resource, conversation, and community for and by brilliant yet underrecognized and underrepresented scholars of color. This episode is sponsored by Topcoat. Topcoat believes that bold nails are for bosses, so they created bold, beautiful shades that work for the classroom, the office, even the beach. Also, as an added plus, all Topcoat polish is carcinogen-free, vegan, and paraben-free. Topcoat is proud to be a woman-owned and black-owned business, so visit their site today at www.taupecoat.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Ebony Tower. I'm Daphne. And I'm Rachel. And we are happy that you have tuned in to another installment of Ask Ebony Anything. Today, we will be answering questions that you have sent to us through social media, through email, Twitter, and etc. We have four questions that range from the beginning of the doctoral process, so applying all the way up into the dissertation phase. Um, and so we would like to get started. Rachel, do you want to read the first question? So we actually have two questions that I'm going to read together because they're similar in theme. Um, and so let's get started. The first one reads, Dear Ebony, I finally decided to pursue a doctoral degree. It's been 18 years since completing my second master's, but I'm determined to make it to the finish line with the doctorate in educational leadership. Has anyone heard of or have experience with Walden University? That's the first question. And this is another question that came in for us. Dear Ebony, I left my previous PhD program after a semester. It was too much stress. Now that I've had some time away, I think I still want to do it, but perhaps a brick and mortar is not for me. What do you think of for-profit doctoral programs like University of Phoenix? So these are interesting questions, huh? They are. And I feel like, so I'm a part of like a lot of conversations in the online community about higher education. And I feel like this is a big theme that often comes up, like traditional doctoral programs, like the person said, like brick and mortar institutions versus the more online programs that are often through for-profit colleges that are not regionally accredited. And I think there is a lot that you have to think about, whether it's a bachelor's degree or doctoral degree, if you're going to get a degree from a college that is not regionally accredited, which means that those credits, anything you do would not transfer. And sometimes institutions might not recognize degrees that come from for-profit online programs. And so I think that's one of the biggest things that you have to consider in switching or potentially pursuing a doctoral degree from such a program. I don't know. What do you think, Rachel? Yeah, I think one of the first things that comes to mind is that depending on what field you're in, it might not make much sense in a practical way. And I hate to be overly practical because obviously I'm someone who really believes in knowledge and scientific research and contributing to knowledge production in societies. However, to pay for a doctorate 
and then enter into a field where it might not make that big a difference in terms of what the going salaries are in that particular field might not make sense because school is expensive and that debt is real. What do you think about that? No, I completely agree. I feel like the advice that I received when I started thinking about doctoral programs is that you do not pay for a PhD. You just don't do it. You know, there are different types of doctorates. So there's Juris Doctorate, there's, you know, the Medical Doctorate, and those typically pay off. And that's why it might make more sense to pay for a degree. And even with a JD, people are starting to like question, like, does it make sense? Because the job prospects afterward aren't looking as good as they did prior to our last recession. And so I think you need to consider, especially the the second person who, you know, left her other program after the semester and is kind of working now. I think you need to ask yourself whether you want a PhD because you actually need one or is it about just getting the credential? Because I think there are potentially better ways to spend your time than like the next four or five years in a PhD program, even if it is online, especially if that is going to be adding debt. So when Rachel talks about like getting debt for this degree, ask yourself if things do not work out, will you be protected? Because I know a lot of for-profit colleges that have gone under in recent years. And what they're ultimately trying to do is say, well, you got this degree, whether it works for you or not, you're still going to pay for it with those loans. So mm, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's also a question of a social benefit. Like often I have conversations with family members about the value of higher education. And one of the arguments I often make is that there's a social benefit to it. Uh, especially at an undergraduate level, we know that, you know, um, the amount of money you make and also just the exposure to a particular network and environment. If you're getting a master's in MBA, a master's in business, right? Part of what you're paying for is to get that networking, uh, the ability to network with people that could affect or impact your business career. Um, to get a PhD in some fields that you paid for, right? I don't know that the social benefit is really worth it. You're putting in a lot of time and work, which means that potentially you can't work somewhere else while you're completing your degree, or you can't, uh, work as much somewhere else. And afterwards, also, if you're not really getting any sort of benefit, there's not much social benefit either. I guess you can tell people you have a PhD. However, you know, as an anthropologist, if I'm not working in a museum and if I'm not working in academia, you know, I don't know that I'm all that much more competitive over someone who has a master's in anthropology to work in the not-for-profit field or to work in U.S. government. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to note academia is prestige driven. So in thinking about like if you were interested in becoming a professor, I guess unless you were going to try to be a professor at another for-profit institution, it would be less likely that you would be hired in a tenure track position at a traditional university. You know, maybe they would hire you as an adjunct, um, but you might be limiting yourself to only being competitive in a small group of like for-profit institutions. I was also going to say that it might be, if, if it's just a matter of 
being full-time in a PhD program does not work for you and maybe you are a better online learner, I do know that there are a lot of traditional institutions that are offering online programs. I would do that before I would do a for-profit degree. And even if like, for instance, there's a state university that has like a online doctoral program, that would probably be way more cost-effective than the traditional like Walden University of Phoenix. Uh, I think there's like a North Central. I think there's a bunch of uh, different ones, but mm, ask yourself, do you really need a PhD? Like Rachel said, is it really going to benefit you? I do know that sometimes like educators, because they want to receive the next pay bump. They'll, you know, pursue these degrees. But again, talk to a financial advisor and make sure that the debt you're going to take on actually makes sense for the bump, which usually is not like you're going to get like $100,000 more. But if you end up in $100,000 worth of debt for like a $15,000 pay bump, I'm, I'm not sure that's worth it. So yeah, I completely agree. So do you want to take the next question? Yes. So dear Ebony, I want to apply to graduate school, but my significant other is upset because I'm not interested in any schools near our current city and they may not be able to follow me. I'm not sure what to do. Do you think we could make a long distance relationship work? Should I delay graduate school until we can make a coordinated move? Any help would be great. Hmm. Well, I, I want to preface any advice I give with, I am single and have been pretty single for a few years. And so I am in no ways a expert on relationships. However, some of my relationships, uh, longest relationships have been long distance relationships. I'm not a person who shies away from long distance relationships. As long as you have a foundation with someone, I think, you know, absolutely it can work. The question is, are you too willing to make it work? I I agree. So I will preface this by saying that I have mostly been in long distance relationships. My last long distance relationship resulted in marriage. And I, I won't say I went through a similar thing because I don't think there was any question for either of us, whether I was going to pursue the PhD program that I wanted to go to, regardless of location. And I would say I also had a friend in a similar position. Pursuing her PhD was going to require that she was going to be in a long distance relationship. And she had this dream and this goal. And she believed enough in her relationship and like believed enough in like, I can try to make this work that she made that move and she'll be getting married in a couple months to the same person. And so I think you need to ask yourself, is this relationship potentially leading to marriage? Because you should not delay graduate school or delay your dream if this is something where y'all haven't even had serious conversations about marriage, because you might ultimately regret that. Two, if you guys love each other enough or are both committed to the relationship, then you're going to find a way to make it work. And I don't, I'm not saying like, oh, just say, oh, it'll be fine. I move. No, you're going to figure out what does this look like? How much would it 
costs to continue this relationship. And I know that's what I did. You know, I had quite a few graduate school options and I tried to figure out like, you know, how much it was it going to be for us to regularly fly? Like how often were we going to be able to see each other? Who was going to pay for what? You know, those types of things. And that factored into the decision to where I chose, but it definitely did not factor into my decision as to whether I was going to complete graduate school. Because although I believed in this relationship, I have my own accomplishments. And if this relationship is meant to work, we will make it work while I also pursue my dream. So yeah, I think also, you know, so two things. One is that there is something that can be really great and refreshing about long distance relationships. Um, because it really forces you to communicate really well with your partner because mostly what you're doing is communicating, whether it's FaceTime or phone. There's a way that when you're in a relationship with someone and you're in the same place, you come home, you're both tired from whatever you're doing, and you might not even talk all that much. So you can also see long distance as an opportunity for you to really work on your communication skills with your partner because the only thing that will keep you both uh, your intimacy will be based on the fact that you're sharing the details of your day-to-day lives uh, through long distance forms of communication. Um, Also, depending on what stage your partner is in, this can really be a great time for you to both be mutually on your grind. I know a lot of people who have done long distance and it's like one partner was getting their uh, MBA and the other partner was, you know, going through med school and it allowed both people to really focus on their work and respect, have respect for the work that each is doing in their uh, respective careers and fields until finally they're able to come together and sort of figure out how to be uh, together and you get to the point where your relationship, right? You both have really fruitful and and loving and, and full lives and you bring that together rather than needing someone else to fulfill that for you. Mm, I absolutely agree with that. I can, I do think that long distance works better when either the person is probably as busy as you or that person is simply respectful of the grind that you will be on. So I echo uh, Rachel's advice. I think one of the reasons that my relationship worked is because, yes, my now husband was a medical school student and then was a resident and he was just as busy as I was. So he never felt neglected. Your partner has to have an understanding of what you are doing. If they do not, yes, there are going to be like issues with insecurity and loneliness. So you do have to make sure that your partner is mature enough to say, I understand that you cannot talk to me right now because maybe you have this big assignment due. Um, And if your partner is not that type of person, y'all going to have to work through some things. I I can say that. Uh, But it worked for me because it's like, oh, you busy? I'm busy too. I don't feel any type of way. (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree. (laughs) I totally agree. Yeah. So that's just my advice. Don't give up your dream. Like if it, if this person is right for you, then you do not have to sacrifice your dreams just to pursue it, that relationship. So yeah, that's my I advice. Agree. I totally agree. 
And you can do both, you know, you can do both. That's, yeah. Yeah. And graduate school is a phase. It's not the end, right? So mm -hmm, it's it's mm -hmm. for a certain amount of time. Sometimes getting to the point where you're not in long distance with your partner is actually the thing that like really gives you that swift kick in the ass to finish your coursework and your graduate work on time. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Cause now I won't say I'm chilling, but now that I've I'm done with coursework and done with a lot of other things, you know, that was that took me like three years to well, like two and a half. And after that, you do have more time. So you just need to have an understanding partner. So Rach, wanna read the next question? Yes, I will do that. Dear Ebony, I was watching a webinar and it indicated that your C V should be at least two pages long. My CV has never been more than one page. What should go on a CV and how long should it be? That is a good question. Um, One that I sought advice for through my university's uh, career center, which most universities Mm -hmm. have. Um, Do you want to, do you want to talk about it? And then I'll talk about it after Daphne. Sure. I'll take a crack at it. I think this question usually comes up because new students into academia may be thinking about the CV or some people call it a resume from when they were pursuing like a traditional business career where you want a very concise resume that's like one page versus in academia, you are using your CV to sell yourself. And I feel like the length as you go on in your career, it will get longer and longer. So you should be trying to think of things to fill your CV. Now, I have had fellowships to where they say we are looking for a two page CV and I've had to cut things out. But I I do think that two pages, I think that's a good solid length to show what you have been doing in terms of teaching academic degrees and accomplishments your academic presentations, publications, grants you've won, and maybe even the professional organizations that you are a part of. That is a lot to fit in one page. And so you might be at the beginning of your academic journey. So maybe you don't have two pages worth of things, but that should be making you think about what conferences am I going to apply to? What publications am I going to have? What fellowships or grants am I going to apply for to make sure that I have something to show that I am committed to this scholarly endeavor? So I don't know. What, what did you learn from like the yeah, career Yeah, so I have like some nitty gritty advice. Um, the first part of your CV should have your education information, of course, and make sure you put expected and a year that you are expected to graduate. Um, So then moving on, you can kind of parse out different parts of your graduate school uh, experiences. So for me, I have research experience and there I have different research assistantships that I had done throughout my uh, graduate career. Um, I have fieldwork experience. So there I have listed the fieldwork I've done for research projects. And then I have teaching experience. And then I have listed the different courses that I've taught or TA'd at different universities. Um, then I go on to talk about fellowships and awards. That's a great place to list them. Publications, of course. And 
one thing to keep in mind also about your listing of publications is that you can list a paper that you are working on and say manuscript in preparation. Okay. Quote me, put at the end of Mm -hmm. the title of whatever it is, whatever paper it is you think you're going to write and whichever journal you'd like to uh, submit it to and write at the end of it manuscript and preparation. I agree. I have that on mine as well. I have like publications, publications in progress, you know, things of that nature. And I've seen so many CVs and it looks like everyone does that now. So So then to fill up a second page, if you're still at the beginning of your career, you can also list other projects. And this was some advice I've really appreciated. So some of us have websites, some of us have published uh, stories, maybe to the ebonytower.com maybe to Huffington Post. So that's where you would put that. You would put it under other non-academic publications, and then you can have a separate column that's called other projects, and there you can put any films you've done, any websites you work on. Some people also add a speaking engagements column where you can put if you've guest lectured a course for someone. And then lastly, I have my conferences. So all the conferences I've attended and the papers I've presented, I put them there. And so you're looking at something that's close to two pages by now, I think. I I definitely agree. Like I said, as you go like longer in the field, I know professors that have CVs that are like, they're like 30 pages long. Yes, they are like books. And that's what kind of happens. Now that might be something that they list online, maybe, you know, for a grant or a fellowship, they might not have like their 40 page CV, but it's definitely different from your traditional resume that you would use to apply for traditional business or nonprofit job or what you would upload to like a a website like indeed.com. Yeah. So yeah, it is a really I think good, that was question. A really good question. question. My question to you, Daphne, is what do you think about putting your address or phone number on your CV? Do you do that or do you just do email? I think my last CV, I only put my email address. I'm looking at it right now. So yeah, my last CV, I only put my email address. And I think it was because there was a two page limit and my address was taking up like four lines or something like that. If I have a business address, like a campus address, I do that because a lot of the times people put their CVs online and anyone can look at them. I'm not sure that I'm comfortable putting my personal address, which I know some people do, but I'm more than happy to put like my campus address. I try to avoid putting my physical yeah, personal well, so address. I did not have that you? information before because like you said, I have my CV online on academia.edu. And so obviously I don't want people to have my personal address. And once I defended, I wasn't on campus anymore. And actually I dissertated from another place. So I you know, didn't have a campus mailing address that I was checking. Um, however, I did learn this through the interviewing process for uh, academic jobs. When schools wanted to send me a check uh, to cover the costs of coming down or the hotel or anything that they were covering for my interview, for my campus interviews, they were like saying to me, oh, you don't have your address on your CV. So we didn't know where to send your check. So that's something to keep in mind if you are doing academic interviews. That is so interesting. I literally never thought of that. But I want my money. So I guess exactly. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. send my money right here, please. (laughs) Yes. 
So I think we have one last question. Do you want to read it? Sure. Okay. Dear Ebony, how do you deal with family that constantly asks you when you are going to be done? It's like people feel like a dissertation is a term paper. I keep getting the question of how much have you done? I am also constantly explaining that submitting the draft doesn't mean that the PhD has been completed. Any suggestions on handling this question? This is triggering. This was so much of my experience dissertating. And because uh, my family is pretty, we're a very open family. We say whatever to anyone and we're very direct in our style of talking to each other, um, which normally I very much enjoy. But during the dissertation process, it got very old, very fast. Um, But, you know, in light of that, I could also be direct with people too. So, for example, aunts and uncles who would be like, oh, are you done yet? I would be like, have you written a book? How long do you think writing a book takes? And they're like, oh, your dissertation is like a book. And I was like, yes, it's like a book. And that helped people a little bit to understand the process. But I don't know that I have a good answer to this. I mean, I feel like it was a constant conversation. And I feel like I created very strong boundaries (laughs) with people in my family. Every family is different. Some families wouldn't do that. Maybe they're more passive aggressive. But my family, like I sat people down. I was like, don't ask me this. It stresses me out. I don't want to hear it. It's a book. This is a process. If it was easy. Everyone would get PhDs. And yet still like two months later, like, you know, one of my aunts would be like, so are you not done yet? So, you know, every family is different. And I just had to keep reiterating to people that if this was easy, if this was quick, everybody would have PhDs. And that is not the case. And also that in my field, I was writing a document that was 300 pages. And sometimes I remind them, how long does it take you to write an email that's a response that's like three little lines to respond to an email that you edit and you look at a bunch of times? So imagine 300 pages of writing. Yes. It's so funny that this question was asked because I just moved to a new town that is not like an academic center. And I met someone, uh, we were we were becoming acquainted, and I was telling her that I was in school, I was going to get in my PhD, and I was explaining to her that I was writing my dissertation proposal, not even the dissertation. You know, she said like, oh, are you finished with your, um, your class project or your <laughs> school project? And I'm just like, it's just a matter of not understanding. And I like what you said about like the book, because that is how I am framing it, both to myself and to other people like, I am in the process of writing my first book. Did you catch that? First (laughs) book, as in there will be subsequent books. But I am in the process of writing my first book. And like you said, that takes time. And for me, I think even framing it like that to myself to understand like, girl, this is an endeavor. It's going to be a lot of hard work and you need to be putting in time daily to make sure that this end product is good. Advice that one friend also gave me is that like when you're starting to write your dissertation, it might be a good idea to just sit down with your family and just talk about the process. I think sometimes we as doctoral students, we take for granted that our family, some of us are like first generation doctoral students or college students. And we don't realize that like, wow, 
our families might not have any idea about this process at all. And so my friend said that when she began writing her dissertation, she kind of sat down with her family to just have a talk like this is what this is going to look like. I'm going to be really busy or um, there might be times where you might not hear from me, but this is why. Just to clue them in and they might be more just kind of respectful of your process and, you know, might not feel some type of way. Cause I heard people like they start feeling some type of way, you know, when you get ghosts cause you're, you're writing or whatever it is. So I think communicating with your family or your friends or whatever about just what this process is and maybe putting it in terms that they understand. And I think that's essentially what yeah, Rachel was saying you know, about like think, writing a book. I want to add another di- dimension to this. If you are dissertating from home, then it really gets tricky because the advice you just gave, Daphne, was so good, but it works better when you're uh, not there. When you're there, people see you not going to work, right? But I was working all day writing, but they don't get (laughs) it because they go to work and then they come back and they see me at my computer, maybe in the same place they left me. And so uh, explaining, I feel like I explained a lot, but people just couldn't really comprehend. I mean, it's, it's a process that's so different. And in our society, we tend to see people being active as meaning like, oh, those people are busy. And if you're inactive, it means you're not busy. And also intellectual work isn't considered the same kind of, or, or held to the same esteem or considered real work, like other types of work. So I had to constantly have conversations with people about like, you see me at my computer, I'm busy. I'm not on email. I'm not on Facebook. I know people do a lot of their socializing at the computer, but this is actual work. And finally it got to the point where I just had to, even if I didn't want to go somewhere, go to the library, go somewhere to make it clear that like I'm working. I completely agree. I've been working from from home and it looks like I'm always in the same spot. And since I'm on the computer and I might be like hunched over, it looks like maybe I'm chilling, but I'm doing a lot of intellectual work right here. And it looks like, dang, what you've been doing all day? And I'm like, working. Like I've been working. It's 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 a little frustrating. I actually just went to get a public library card since I'm, you know, away and I'm not at my university use my library. And I just went to get a public library card because I'm like, sometimes I want a physical space to be so that, like you said, people understand yes. that like, yes, I'm, girl. I'm, and get, especially I'm putting for, in a lot of work. For immigrant families. And I come <laughs> from a family with it. a lot of nurses. They were like, I don't know what you're doing. You're home all day. <laughs> you're in pajama pants and you say you're working. I don't get it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I think for me, because I'm like a night owl, so this was some shade. So I was staying up late. I was like, babe, you can go to sleep or whatnot. He's like, yeah, because somebody got to wake up. I'm Ooh, like, look, don't, wow. don't, don't be mad at me because you chose your profession and I chose a profession where I can wake up when I want to and like still get work done. It was, I was like, mm, I sense that shade. Yes, yes <laughs> But I'm definitely. just like... 
you know, another thing is sometimes intellectual work makes you really sleepy. So sometimes I need naps between like the thinking and the reading. And so whenever I talk about naps, he, my husband throws shade at me too. I'm like, look, didn't nobody tell you to go be a doctor where you can't have naps? I'm sorry that I chose a cool profession. <laughs> no, I mean, but but it is, it's, it's exhausting to think all day and in turn those thoughts into words on page. It's exhausting. And I often argue with people that it's just as exhausting as physical labor at times. You know, uh, there's this way that it's like, oh, you're just like writing something. And yet ask people though, like be like, do you want to write a two page paper for me? And they'll be like, you know? Yeah. 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 Writing is is such a daunting task. And there's also a lot of emotional labor that goes into it because you know you're going to have to share this. So look, family, you got to understand we are working. When you see that book produced. Oh, yeah. It's all worth it then. Yeah. Give us some credit. Give us some credit, people. Maybe what the uh, our listener needs to do is just play this segment for her, her or his family. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. But no, these were some really good questions. Yeah, they were. And it covered like a broad spectrum of, of issues as well. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. So... Again, send us your questions. As you can see, we have all the tea. We have all the knowledge that you need to get in, to like navigate family, advisors, whatever it is. And if we don't have the answer, you know, when you send us a question, we're, we're more than happy to like research things or really think through what we're going to answer. So yeah, send those in. We look forward to the next episode. Yes. Thank you for spending time with us. And please let us know your comments also about the podcast. How do you think it's going? We love hearing from y'all. Yes. Rate, rate and subscribe. All right. Well, see you next time. See you next time. If you're interested in being featured on the Ebony Tower, have topic ideas, or simply want to ask Ebony anything, visit our website, www.theebonytower.com, or email us at info at Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Ebony Tower. And please don't forget to rate and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform.